Hey, welcome. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, if this is your first time, I'm Matt Avery. I'm the pastor here at Midtown West, and really thankful that you're here worshiping with us. Um, could somebody put that cover? Thank you. This is going to get old. Um, I'm going to pray for us. Thank you. Father, thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for uh, doing your good work. Lord, you expose the works of the enemy. You give us strength. You fight for us. You fight with us. Um, Lord, I pray that today you would not leave us unchanged. Lord, would you have mercy on the one who is bringing your message uh, because I am weak. And uh, Lord, those hearing it are also weak and you are strong and you love us and you fight for us and with us and you strengthen us and uh, you invite us to fight alongside of you because you are doing something good in all of this. So Lord, wherever we are coming in from today, uh, whatever suffering we're experiencing, whatever pain, whatever discontent or unbelief, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to us, that your spirit would do your good work and um, Lord, don't leave us unchanged. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, my freshman year, I went to a new high school, um, so didn't know some of the things that were going on there, and our freshman building where all of our lockers were, were down this hill, and then all the upperclassmen were up this hill, and so there was this road and this sidewalk, and everybody goes up the hill to go back, and they would eat lunch before us, and then we would eat lunch after them, and so um, one of the first days of school, I'm just sitting out there in our little courtyard, our freshman courtyard, waiting to go into lunch and seeing all the seniors and juniors go up the hill, and I'm talking to one of my friends, and all of a sudden, he just goes down. He's taken out, and this orange had, like, flown through the air and just knocked him down. And all of a sudden, I look, and we were under attack, and there were apples and oranges just flying. And the seniors would always take apples. and See, I'm, like, on the cusp of, like, before political correctness really, like, happened. I'm, like, kind of like the last of that crowd. So all sorts of crazy stuff like this happened all the time, and teachers were walking by, they're like, yeah, it's just, that's what you do. So um, oranges and apples coming down the hill, I mean, they were winging these things from like 150, 200 yards away. And so everybody's taking cover, and that was a good picture for me of what we're talking about today, because like, I, I don't know, like, that this is a thing. And so I'm out there just hanging out, and all of a sudden, fruit is flying through the air. And um, that's kind of like how we can walk through this life of like, if I don't know that we're under attack, um, my experience is going to be very jarring. Um, and it's going to change the way that I walk through this world. And, and so what we're talking about here is we go through this, um, go through the book of Nehemiah, we go through this man's journey as he has this vision from the Lord and he goes in this vision um, to do this God-sized vision in the power of God, with God, for the people of God. Um, and as he goes, um, as we saw last week, he encounters opposition and the people that he's rallied together to rebuild the wall, they're rebuilding the city of God in order to rebuild really the souls of God's people. Um, but they encounter opposition and now everything is changed. Now that the enemy's attack has been exposed, um, that changes everything and it changes everything about the way that they live. And so the Lord is, is bringing this passage to us this morning to say, hey, you need to know that this is happening in your life, and, and what do we do in response to that? And so uh, we read the first two verses of this passage last week and, and threw them in there again because um, we just need to hear this. But Nehemiah's call to his people, uh, they're on the wall, and he says, okay, here are the enemies. Um, don't be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them. Remember your God who is great and awesome, and then fight. Um, he calls us to fight. He is the one who is 
He's all-powerful. He fights for us, but he also calls us to fight alongside him and fight for your people, fight for your homes, fight for yourself. And I love uh, the verse here. It says, once the enemy's works were exposed, we all return to the wall, each to his work. It's this idea that our life now is fighting and building. That's what we're doing. We've talked, and if you haven't been with us, we talked in the past about what it looks like for us to be engaged in building. We are building walls and gates. We are building walls for each other and for ourselves. It's called discipleship. And we are following Jesus. We are learning to live the way that he calls us to live. But we are also building gates. We're building gates into the city of God, into the place where God's presence dwells with his people for people who don't know him to come in and, and see that God is not this idea that they have in their mind, um, but this God who is beautiful and wonderful and powerful and who has made a way for them to be reconciled to God, to, to be with the one that they were created to be with. And so they don't have to be afraid of God anymore. They can come under the, the blood of Jesus and be reunited with this God. And so we, everywhere we are, we are building walls and we are building gates. And so we are not just building, though, uh, because now, you know, if, if, if it wasn't exposed to you before, last week um, the enemy's works were exposed. Um, there is an enemy. He is fighting to deceive and discourage and distract. And so now that the enemy's works are exposed, it says that the people got back to building on the wall. But it also says, from that day on, from that day on, um, everything was different about how we built. From that day on, we always had our weapons by our side. From that day on, some of the people carrying the load would carry their sword in one hand and the load of bricks and whatever else they were carrying to build the wall in the other hand. From that day on, half the people were building and the other half were standing guard to fight and then they would switch. But from that day on, everything was different. Um, and again, I mean, I, I love Radnor Lake and I love paintball. But if I go to paintball thinking it's going to be like walking around Radnor Lake, it's going to be a rude awakening. Um, and that is, that is this exposure that is so necessary for us to say, I mean, we, we would love it to be different, but that's just how it is now, is we are, we are in a battle. We are always building and we are always fighting. And that is this side of heaven. That is what our life is. And so how do we fight? And I want to I take a little detour here uh, because I think it's really important for us. But if you want to write this, these two passages down, uh, and you can go to him this week when you've got more time. Revelation 12, 9 through 11. And Ephesians 6, 11 through 18. And we're going to walk through these now. But um, how do we fight? What do we do? What does this look like? So Revelation 12 says this. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And listen to this, this is verse 11. And they have conquered him, that is the saints in Christ, they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they have loved not their lives even to death. And so this passage can be confusing because this passage in Nehemiah 4 talks about how God is the one who fights for us, but he also calls us to fight alongside of him. And this passage from Revelation gives us a really good picture of what does that look like to fight when God is fighting for us and we're fighting in his power? Well, it says here that um, the enemy has been conquered by the saints, by us, 
by two things, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So he's been conquered by the blood of Christ. When Jesus gave himself on the cross, when he lived a perfect sinless life and took all of our sin onto himself and died in our place and received the the judgment of God, the wrath of God poured out on him for our sins, um, he defeated the enemy. The enemy has no power over us now because we are in Christ. Everything that we fear, death and judgment and separation from God, Jesus has conquered. He is our conquering king who has come and he's laid down his life. He has fought for us. And so we conquer the enemy by the blood of the lamb. It's God who fights for us. But we, our part is we also conquer him by our testimony, by saying what's true, by saying um, no matter what kind of distraction and discouragement and deceit, the evil one is trying to plant seeds in my heart and my mind. It's telling myself, it's reminding each other that um, this is true. Like, this is what's true. I belong to God, and the evil one cannot do anything. No one, no one and no thing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so I can testify to how he came into my life when I wasn't looking for him, when he initiated and said, you are mine, I'm making you mine, and I have made you mine, and you will be mine forever. And when I testify to the truth of that, there is power there. And so that, that takes us to Ephesians 6, when Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Because what are his schemes? His schemes are to distract and to discourage and to distort. And he is always working to try to, he cannot separate you from God. All he can do is make you think that you are separated from God. And so he works in all these ways to say, you are a sinner. God can never love you. You can't trust God. He, he won't love you like he say he will. Um, he's gonna leave you hanging. You're gonna be standing holding the bag and look like a fool if you trust in God. He says all this kind of stuff, and he works in our life constantly to get us to to try to believe that we don't have access to what we have access to now in Christ. And so when Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that we may stand against the schemes of the devil, um, look at what he says this armor is. He says, listen, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There is a spiritual darkness. There is a spiritual power. There is a spiritual force that is at work in the world and in your life trying to disconnect you and this union with you and Christ um, that he cannot do, but he can only deceive you. And so the armor that he says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. And he says this, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, um, the helmet of salvation. What is he saying? He's saying, like, when the enemy is coming to attack you, he is attacking you with, with lies. So be girded up in the truth. Know what's true. And when he's coming for you for the kill shot for your head, it's, he's attacking you and, and making you think that the Lord is not with you and that you need to be afraid of death. You need to be afraid of being separated from God and afraid of God's wrath. But Paul's saying, no, no, put on the helmet of salvation. You have salvation in Christ. No one can take that away from you. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. No matter how you feel, no matter what you've done, you are righteous in Christ. The enemy cannot attack you and say that you are too bad and too far and you're you too wicked for the Lord to love you. Um, you don't stand on your own merit. You stand on Christ's merit. And so put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Be girded up in truth and the sword that you fight with 
the sword is the sword of the Spirit. It is the Word of God that tells you what is true about you. It is the Word of God that is the gospel, that is the good news to tell you who you are now in Christ and that everything is different and you can stand in the truth of the Word. And the way that you swing that sword is in verse 18 is praying at all times in the Spirit. It is taking the truth of God and praying it to Him and saying, Lord, I know this is true. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe that this is true. Help me to stand against the lies uh, of the enemy. And so that is how we fight. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the schemes of the enemy. And, and the place where we swing that sword the most is not at other people. It's, it's in our own lives. It's our own flesh. It's our own pride. It's our own unbelief. And, and we don't have to be afraid. The enemy is more powerful than we are. But Jesus is now not only with us, he is in us. And he has defeated the enemy. And the one who is in us and with us has, has overcome the evil one. He, the one who is in us is stronger than the one who is in the world. And so this is what it looks like to fight. And so, again, we go back to this truth of like, from now on, everything is different. Now that we know that there's an enemy that we are fighting against, it's the difference between living like I'm on vacation and living life like I'm in a war. And that changes the way that I pray. Um, as a, a, a mentor of mine once said, um, it's the difference between praying like you're calling down a room service for a more comfortable pillow and, and praying like you're on the battle comms in the battlefield saying, please send reinforcements, we're dying out here. It's to understand that, that this life we live in now is, is not a life of peace. This is war, and it's a war that has already been won, but we are still living in this time um, where what we long for so badly um, is to be with our Jesus and to have everything set right, and that day is coming, but it's not right now. And so in this fighting, we don't just fight um, on our own. It, it is essential that we fight together, that we rally together. As, as Nehemiah says to his people, um, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from each other. And you know what? This is by design. Um, we are separated on the wall as we go out about our daily lives, all the places that the Lord's called us, all of our places of work, all the places that we live, all the places that we frequent, all of our relationships that he's given us. We are separated on this wall as we build walls and gates. And that's good. That's by design because the Lord is fanning us out all throughout Nashville to make his name known and to bring people into this body. Again, that's our, our vision statement is that we are on adventure with Jesus to be set free, to set others free, and to enjoy that freedom together. And that's what he is doing. He is sending us out in all these places to give a foretaste of the kingdom of God and to let people see like, oh wow, maybe I was wrong about who this God is. Um, maybe he's different. Maybe he actually um, does love me. Maybe he actually uh, is not like these um, images that I've had in my mind of, of what he might be like. And so, um, but, but make no mistake, this is dangerous to be separated, to be uh, apart from one another. And so he says to his people, when I blow the trumpet, um, rally here. Rally to where you hear the trumpet because there are going to be times where we need to come together off our spots on the wall where we're building and to fight for each other and to fight with each other. And so um, really there's two places, there's two kinds of trumpet calls that we hear about in the o Old Testament. And I think both of these apply to what Nehemiah is saying here and what Jesus is saying to us through what Nehemiah says here. Um, the first is uh, trumpet calls went out for God's people when it was time to worship. 
when it's time to gather for worship. And this is essential for us. Um, we need to be reminded of what we are doing. Um, it, it is essential. It is essential that we come together on a weekly basis and worship God together and be reminded of who we are in Christ and who he is and what we are doing uh, when we are not in this room. It is essential because if we don't, we are, you know, don't give yourself too much credit. We are frail and feeble creatures and we will forget what we're doing out there and instead of building the wall, we'll be building our own kingdom and we'll be in all these places that God's put us for his purposes, but now all of a sudden we'll twist it and use it for our purposes. And so it, it is it's so essential that we come back and be reminded, um, hey, remember what we're doing. Remember why we're out here. Remember that we're rebuilding these walls and these gates so that people can know Christ and that we can know him more intimately. Um, but also remember that you're going to need to fight. Like, remember that this is not just neutral territory. And when you go out and you have bad days and you start thinking weird thoughts and all this stuff and you start pulling away from community, that's, that's not just happening. Um, that there is an enemy who is actively fighting against you. He's fighting to deceive and discourage. And we've got to come back together and be here and worship together to be reminded, oh yeah, we're also fighting. There's opposition to what we are doing. And so that is, that's the, the first place where we see trumpets um, all the time for God's people. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And the second, second uh, way that we see the trumpet blown, like the purposes of God in, in blowing the trumpet together, his people, is to call for reinforcement. It's a call to fight, to gather at the trumpet and fight. And so um, I want to say, you know, a couple things about that. One is, uh, what does that look like in our lives now? Um, well, it looks like gathering together to pray for people. Um, when somebody is under attack, when somebody is feeling really low and, and there's really not an explanation and they can't shake what's going on, um, something that we practice in this community that we think is essential is for that person to raise their hand and say, hey, I need help. I need reinforcements. I need people to rally together to me. And so we go to that person and we pray over them. And we, we believe that the Lord has called us to do that and that there's power in doing that. Um, maybe it looks like that there is, there is some need that comes up, like, you know, when the tornado hit or, or whatever, that those are other times of rallying where we're like, hey, we need to come together and fight for our people together. These are special times that are, that are not our weekly gatherings that the Lord is calling us to gather um, and to fight for one another. And I want to say this. Um, actually, Jess McKinney is going to come share uh, a story about... Um, what it looks like to blow the trumpet, but as she's coming up, I want to say this. Um, it's a lot easier to go to where the trumpet is being blown than it is to blow the trumpet for yourself. Um, I think most of us have no problem coming to the aid of each other, but a lot of us have a problem raising our hand and saying, I actually need people to come help me. Um, and so Jess is going to share a story. Yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Jess. Uh, most of y'all know me as the worship director as I am, but um, yeah, I'm much more comfortable singing <laughs> than speaking behind a microphone, but yeah, Matt wanted me to share a time when um, I had to raise my hand and ask for reinforcements, um, and there's a lot of things to unpack about my life, um, but I'm going to fast forward to 
the summer of 2016 was a really influential summer of my life. Um, before I moved to Nashville, I spent a summer in Los Angeles working in music industry. Um, I spent most of my life, but especially that summer, trying to find my worth and importance in my talents as I was trying to be a singer-songwriter. I ended up befriending an actor that was twice my age. I thought it was cool being friends with someone that I'd seen in the movies, um, and it didn't take long before I was taken advantage by him, both professionally and physically, and he raped me. I remained friends with him to try to somehow prove to myself that what happened was okay. Um, and because I remained his friend, I got a song in one of his movies he directed. And because I remained his friend, I got to sing at a venue in L.A. that I wouldn't have otherwise. And I thought that this was how I was going to have to make it in the music industry, that I would have to have tough skin um, and let people take advantage of me for a little while so I can get into some doors. Um, that summer was really lonely. I didn't have a community of believers rallying around me all the time. Um, and the people that I would usually confide in were out back in Alabama. And um, if they didn't ask about what was happening in my life, I wasn't going to tell them. They just thought I was friends with an actor, and that made me feel cool. <laughs> um, I had one semester left to finish at Auburn after my semester in uh, L.A. And uh, while I was there, I led worship for crew every week. Um, I lived with Lucas. <laughs> um, and that semester just felt different. I felt like I had imposter syndrome. Um, and who was I to lead these college students in worship when I didn't believe the sovereignty of, Lord, of the Lord was uh, even good? I didn't, if God wanted the, what was best for me, like why would he allow me to get raped? Um, I was angry <laughs> at God, and I didn't want people around me to know that. And sometimes I'm still angry about it. Um, and since then, the Lord has redeemed a lot in my marriage and um, about that season of life. But when I first started this job, um, the imposter syndrome started up again. And the evil one loves to talk to me using my own voice and disguise his voice as God sometimes. Um, and he told me because of what had happened to me, I wasn't a good fit to lead people in worship because of what had happened to me. Um, I couldn't lead my team well, especially a team of majority men. Um, I thought that I wasn't a good enough Christian to work at a church, that I'm not a good enough musician. There's way better musicians in this town. Uh, I'm not good at praying in front of people or speaking in front of people. I don't have the right words to say. Um, and I believed that, or I thought that the salvation of this church partially weighed on my shoulders, and how could I do that if I wasn't confident in who God was in my life every day? Matt and I meet once a week to discuss um, the sermon and also just what's happening in my heart and the amount of times that I've cried in his office I can't even begin to account. Um, I cried because I believed all those lies um, that the devil was saying to me were true. And Matt asked me once, um, who told me those things? And it didn't take long for me to remember that it wasn't anyone telling me those things. It was the voice inside my head. Uh, there were voices that I, I knew weren't from the Lord. During one of our meetings a few months ago, Matt asked, can I get a group of people together to pray over you? And my initial reaction was this like uncomfortable panic. Um, I didn't like that um, he had said that because that meant that I needed help, and I didn't want people to think that I needed help. I didn't want people to know that I struggled with being in this position, and I wanted to people to think that it came naturally and that I'm the perfect fit, and that I never have any issues, because if I had issues, that meant that I wasn't good enough for the job. 
the night came and people came p- over my over to my house to pray and I didn't know what to expect or how to feel. Only about half of them knew my story, uh, but they knew I needed prayer and they just answered the call. I was overwhelmed by the love I felt for those people or from those people who just showed up. I shared this part of my story with them and we just cried together. <laughs> they prayed over me and my marriage and my job and my heart. After they left, it wasn't like everything was new and different. Um, Everything's felt the same. Um, but there was this new encouragement that I had friends in this church that wanted to walk alongside of me and that there was just a call to pray over me that they ran without hesitation. Um, sometimes I hate testimonies like this because I feel like um, a lot of people share what's happening in their life or something bad that happened and how the Lord redeemed that. And now the rest of their life is great. Um, but I want to be 100% clear that this isn't a tied-up story in a bow um, about how the Lord worked in my life. I don't think it will be until I'm reunited with him in heaven, but I will have to fight um, and sound my trumpet and have people rally around me till the day I die. Um, and I've learned that it's really lonely when I'm not vulnerable. And so um, be vulnerable. You'd be so surprised by the amount of people you're sitting next to in this room that will drop everything to fight alongside you. Thank you, Jess. <sighs> Thank you. That was a gift to us. Um, so yeah, that's, that's this life. I mean, what she just testified to is the truth of, of what this life is. Um, but there is a day coming. There's a day when there will be a final trumpet call. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says this. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Um, Jesus is coming for us and there is a a final trumpet that will be both war and worship together uh, for the first time. But until then, uh, the last few verses of our passage, um, we are always at the ready. Um, That is always necessary. He said, from the break of dawn until the stars came out, um, he called his, his builders and, and warriors to spend the night within the city. They, they weren't going to go home. They were building by day, guarding by night, and it said none of us took off our clothes, which is funny. Um, but none of us took off our clothes for work or our weapons, and this is just a window into how weird I am. When I read this passage this week, if any of y'all are Arrested Development fans, I just thought about Tobias and the Never Nudes. Um, and thought this was a picture of uh, a 24-7 church lock-in with Tobias and his friends. But that's not what he's talking about here, thankfully. That would be a, a very strange cult. Um, what he's talking about here is just this idea that there is no off time. There is no break. There is no weekend. There is no retirement. There is no time where this is not reality uh, for us, that we are building and fighting. And when we, when we let that sink in... Um, that can be crushing, right? The weight of that can be crushing if we don't know Jesus and who he is and and how he is with us. Um, Because the reality is that we build and fight, Jesus is with us. You know, one of the the ways that the evil one attacks so often is to to tell us that um, God has called us to be obedient and then he's over here with his arms folded, like making sure that we do the right thing. That's not reality. Reality is, is Jesus is with us, picking up the load with us. 
He is undergirding us. He is speaking words of love and truth to us as we go, as we build, and as we fight. Um, and not only that, he is, he is the one who has shed his blood. We, remember, we conquer by the blood of the lamb. He has given himself for us to enable us to fight uh, with him in, the, in his power. He is gentle. He is lowly. He is offering rest for our souls. Um, but then if you're paying attention, you're like, okay, wow, he's, he's this gentle lamb. Is that encouraging when it comes to fighting? Like it reminds me of a time that I was at my grandparents' house when I was a little kid, and we heard these really loud noises downstairs at bedtime. And it sounded like somebody was in the house. And my grandmother said, she said, are you scared? I said, yeah, absolutely. I think that there's somebody in the house. And she said, well, don't worry. Granddaddy's going down there to check on it. I said, I'm worried because he's old. Like, what's he going to do? Like, what is, what is Jesus going to do who all he does is know how to die? Right? Like, how is that comforting? But no, that's, that's not who Jesus is. Um, I told my friend Vinny I was going to work this in this morning, but we were walking down the, the sidewalk in 12 South this morning, and we saw a, uh, a man well in his, into his 60s wearing a dry fit shirt, and he was um, putting something on his YouTube channel, and apparently he had a YouTube channel with where he was like doing workout videos, and he's walking down the sidewalk with his phone, and he's saying, all right, y'all, I'm in 12 South, and we're about to get this thing started. We're about to do this workout, and I'm talking beast mode, beast mode, beast mode. And he was, like, throwing his phone behind him for effect. And uh, that's the kind of granddad we have. Um, he's going beast mode. <laughs> Jesus, uh, Jesus is not only the lamb. Jesus is not only the gentle lamb who gave himself. Jesus is also the warrior. Uh, Revelation 19, 11 through 16 says this. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in, in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. No one escapes his gaze. On his head are many crowns. He is the Lord and God of all things and all people. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. When, when you know someone's name, it sort of gives you this uh, little bit of control over them, and it's saying, hey, nobody has anything on me. No one knows my name. I am Lord of all. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. That's he has gone through the wine presses of God's wrath and shed his own blood and he's made it out the other side. Death cannot defeat him. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That is who our Jesus is. He is the lover of our souls. He is also the great warrior uh, in, in whose presence no one can stand, who evil has already been defeated and will be defeated again forever. And so we know that as we are called to fight, as we are called to pick up our sword and continue to build, um, that we don't do that in our own power. We do that in the power of the, this Jesus who has gone before us, who has laid down his life to bring us back to the, the God that we were made for, and he fights for us, and there's a day coming where he will put an end to all suffering, all evil, all wickedness, and everything will be made right. That is the day that we long for. That day is not today. I'm sad to tell you that. Um, I'm sad to to live in the reality of that myself but that day is coming and the knowledge that that day is coming strengthens us as we wait father um lord teach us to fight 
but, but Lord, not, not white-knuckling it, not in our own power. Um, teach us to, to fall on you and to fight in your power and to build in your power and to know that you do not call us to perfection. You call us to faithfulness. You ask us to keep our eyes fixed on you and to obey you as you call us um, into the ways that you want us to live. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that for us. And, Lord, uh, now prepare our hearts as we, um, as we prepare to celebrate this meal, this picture of your um, never-ending love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so now we, we have the joy, we have the gift of getting to take communion. And uh, this is something that God gives us because he knows how frail we are. He knows how weak we are. And he knows that we are, we are physical, we are embodied souls in a physical world. And so we need things that um, we can touch and taste and see and feel and hear. And so he says, hey, I'm giving you this picture of my love for you. Um, and it's not just a picture, it is his presence in these elements that he gives us. He is giving himself to us um, as we partake in these elements. But what is happening is this is a foretaste of what's to come. Revelation 19 says this, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride, that's us, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. What we are doing now in this life is not celebrating the wedding feast um, as it will be. We are, we are being prepared for our wedding day where we are united to Jesus forever and there will be no more tears. And so now in, in this meal that we're gonna take, it is a foretaste of what's to come. He says, hey, hey, I just wanna encourage you that this is coming. It's coming and it's coming soon. And so now what we do today is like what David talks about in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And that's what God does for us is our enemies are always around us. Um, but he is so powerful and so good that he prepares a table still in the presence of our enemies and he can keep them away as we eat with him and enjoy fellowship with him as he continues to tell us, you can trust me. <laughs> you can trust me. I love you. I'm, I'm with you forever and you don't have to be afraid of your enemies. I'm fighting for you. And so um, Jesus says, I want you to keep this meal until I return. And this meal is, is the meal that he had with his disciples on the night he was betrayed. He, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. My, my body, my life and my death and my resurrection is what nourishes you. You need to feed on me to live. And then he poured out wine and he said, this wine is my blood. This is the blood of a new covenant. You are not drinking the cup of God's wrath anymore because of what I've done for you. Now you are drinking the cup of the foretaste of the wedding banquet. And so what we do here uh, in Midtown is we have kneelers, you can come, Spend time um, praying, talking to the Lord, preparing your heart. And uh, what Jesus says about this meal is clear. It's for everyone. It's for everyone who knows that they are a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. And so whether, whether you are discovering this right now for the first time and the Holy Spirit is moving in you, um, this is for you. Or for the thousandth time that you have to be reminded of this, um, this is for you too. And so come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, we're going to come up, and we just have two people per each kneeler. And um, you can come and spend as much time as you want. Put your hands out when you're ready to receive the elements, and we'll serve them to you. And if you want prayer, just cross your arms uh, or just raise a hand uh, because maybe today is a day that you need uh, to sound the trumpet and be rallied around. Um, so let's worship him.